0: I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is David McNeil. And before we get to David, let me give a few announcements and get some business out of the way. First, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. You can go there. You can see articles that I've written. You can see articles that some of the guests have written. You can see photos of the guests, and you can see links to their social media. And you can see links to our social media. And by social media, I'm talking Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. You can go to our Facebook page. And you can also see links to Stitcher Radio, Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, iHeart Radio, basically anywhere you get your podcasts. If you listen to us on any of those platforms, I ask you to please subscribe and to please give us a good rating. There's no ads on this show. There's no money involved because I'm a bad businessman, like I've often said. I do this out of love. And if you give me some love back, I would appreciate it by giving me a good rating, a thumbs up. Maybe you say a few nice things. It costs you nothing, but it boosts our presence on the platforms and helps more people find the show. So if you could do that, I'd appreciate it. And if you think you'd be right for the show or you know somebody who'd be a good guest for the show, you can write me at Travel Tales Podcast at Gmail. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. And speaking of reaching out, our guest today reached out to me, thinking he'd be a good fit for the show, and lo and behold, he was. David McNeil runs ExpatEmpire.com, and we did this over Zoom from his home near Porto, Portugal, marking the second person in Porto that I've talked to in the last few months. Mike Savas from a couple months ago was our guest as well, another American living in Porto. So if you've been listening for a while, you know Portugal's been on my radar ever since I went there a few years ago, not only for returning as a tourist, but also possibly maybe I want to spend some time living there. Who knows? But Portugal is very popular with expats now, not only American expats, but it's been popular with European expats for quite some time. And the secret is out on Portugal. But David's business Expat Empire not only helps people who want to move to Portugal but anywhere around the world. He's an American who's lived in Japan, he's lived in Berlin, Germany, and now makes his home in Portugal, but uh, he's learned a few things along the way about making the adjustment for living abroad, not only in setting up your work environment, uh, visa requirements, but also, you know, simple things. What's the deal on opening a bank account there? What's the tax situations? Can I get a digital nomad visa? What are the adjustments I have to make about living abroad? Expat Empire helps you with all that stuff. So it was great to meet David, and I appreciate him reaching out. I learned a lot, and I hope you will too. And I hope to get there very soon and see him face-to-face, along with Mike and my other friends in Portugal. (laughs) But who knows when that'll be. We recorded this on September 2nd. And as of recording, Americans were still allowed to visit Portugal. Getting back into America is a little more complicated. I know you have to show a negative COVID test. It's still open for now, but who knows? By the time this airs, everything could have changed. As we all know nowadays, all plans are written in pencil and not ink. If you are planning to travel, make sure you can get refundable tickets for flights. If you can't afford to eat the flights or take a flight credit. If you book hotels or tours or something, make sure you can get your money back. Everything's up in the air now. You just don't know. So if you do make travel plans, just make them with caution and have a backup. Check the prices of rental cars because they are insane right now. Do your homework. And as the saying goes, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Be safe out there. Be healthy. Look out for one another. And let's get through this. And if you have a roving eye for somewhere outside of the country you're living in, you're going to want to listen to this episode. And even if you aren't planning to live abroad, you can still learn a lot. So please enjoy my conversation with Expat Empires, David McNeil. David, you're in uh, Porto, Portugal, and along with Mike Savas, it's two guys that I've talked to in Portugal in the last two months, and specifically Porto. And I'm I'm really interested because uh, you're the... uh, founder of Expat Empire, and Portugal on a lot of people's radar, including my own for expats. What makes it such a great place for expats as opposed to other countries, especially other ones in Europe?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. There's definitely a lot of reasons why people are headed here outside of the nice weather, the great people, very warm and friendly people, the wonderful food. There's also some great opportunities as far as visas are concerned, especially for people that want to um, make money abroad or work in remote jobs, or they have their business in another country to be able to use that income to qualify for residence here, as well as some tax programs like the non-habitual resident status uh, tax status that essentially gives you uh, much reduced uh, income taxes here in Portugal for 10 years on different types of income. It depends on where the income is coming from and all that stuff. So not to bore you with the details, but there are these different programs outside of the great lifestyle here that really, Tend to bring people over, and it's definitely become a hotspot. And I think it'll continue to grow in the next years.
0: Does it attract more people that want to work abroad, or older people who want to retire abroad?
1: I at first thought it was maybe more on the retirement side. That's definitely a huge component, and, and contingent of people that come here, and that's from all over. That's from the US, that's from the UK, all over Europe. You know, many different countries. Um, you know, China as well, and from Asia. So. Uh, people from all over coming here to retire, perhaps to retire early, or they have the Golden Visa program here as well. So if you buy some real estate or start a company here, then you can qualify for that type of visa as well. But now it's a lot more people coming for, with remote work, like I mentioned, or of course, digital nomads passing through for a couple of months here or there. Lisbon is the main place for that. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm here in Porto. or just outside of Porto in a, a little kind of beach town called Matosinhos, which is connected by, Porto, uh, by Metro to Porto. Um, so people come here as well, but yeah, it's it kind of depends on what you're looking for. There's more retirement-oriented communities, uh, and there's also kind of the busy city life with Lisbon, and then Porto as a second to that. Definitely not quite as busy and crowded as, as Lisbon, but uh, it's my preference overall. So I really like the life here. How long have you been there? So I've been here just about two years. My wife and I moved from Berlin, Germany, where we had lived for three years, or I had lived for three years. She had lived in Germany for longer, actually. Um, But we moved here in November 2019. So just a couple months before the pandemic and all that good stuff. So it's definitely been an interesting ride. But, But yeah, we're coming up on two years and hopefully planning to stay here for a lot longer.
0: Now, I know you mentioned the Golden Visa program. Uh, for people who don't know what that is, it's basically you can buy your way into a visa, which would be like the equivalent of a green card here in America, right? And every country has a different dollar amount to it. Exactly. Um, I think in America now, what is it? Like a million dollars or over a million? I think.
1: Uh, yeah, what is it, something you, like that.
0: Yeah. What is it for an older guy like me who wants to retire <laughs> <laughs> in um, in Portugal? I mean, is it? I think it sure. was around two hundred, two fifty, or something, or three hundred thousand.
1: Yeah. So actually, there's a variety of different tiers and it's based on, for example, a lot of people come here and they buy property, of course, to have a place to live in, but also because it can be you know, considered a good investment. The property market here is quite strong. And again, there's more and more people moving here for the reasons that we talked about. So I think um, you know it depends on what you're looking for, where you want to live and all of these different things. But the tiers tend to go from, I believe it's 280,000 euros on the low end, then there's one at 350 and then in the high end is about 500,000. So of course, you know, legislation and different regulations and where you can buy a property and how old it is and all these things are always kind of in flux and, you know, there might be changes along the way, but it is one of the most affordable, if not the most affordable, um, you know, golden visa programs here in Europe. And so it definitely brings people for that reason and the fact that you can buy property as opposed to just You know, giving the money or, you know, donating it to, you can do donations and you can do different types of investments and you can start a business, but it's really the most straightforward way for people to find a way to come here uh, to get that initial residence permit, maybe work toward permanent residence or dual citizenship. And uh, yeah, another great reason that people are coming.
0: I heard it's been found out though, and uh, (laughs) that that it's getting. That's valid. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to people like you, uh, the <laughs> exactly. secret is out, and uh, here it's getting tougher, especially since the pandemic in the last few years, or the last five years in America, a lot of people have been looking for places to go. Um, I mean, I have friends from Sweden that have a, a home in Portugal as well, in Lisbon. Mm. Um, have you seen it get tougher and tougher for people, And are, are they making it a little more tough for people to live there?
1: Yeah, I think uh, as we were talking about some of those rules about how old the property is, where you can buy it uh, to qualify for the golden visa, things like that are making it more challenging. They're always kind of thinking about changing this uh, tax program that I talked about, the NHR, non-habitual resident tax status here. Um, So it's always in flux. And I think people coming over here also, especially a lot of people who are coming here on their retirement pensions. So it used to be that you could do that and basically bring the money in, you know, and have it here in Portugal tax free. Uh, and now they've changed that to a minimum of 10% annually uh, tax tax rate on that. So these types of changes are making it more difficult. On the other hand, with the openness toward remote work with the, uh, you know, embracing of digital nomads, there's also the um, some people have been talking about the digital nomad village, which is in Madeira, one of the Portuguese islands. So there's just different policies and programs and opportunities and now with again with more remote work and uh, the visa here is called the D7 visa which is more geared toward passive income which also can be ultimately income from abroad so not just uh, your pension not just your dividends on your investments or your uh, real estate income but different you know different types of uh, jobs and remote work as well so i think there are more opportunities opening at the same time that some things are becoming more challenging depending on what you're trying to do
0: now how long have you been an expat and where did you come from what part of i assume from the states but uh, what part
1: (laughs) yeah good question so uh originally from the us it's hard to pin down where i'm from but i guess i I tend to say california i was born in uh the northern california in sacramento but uh, moved around a ton growing up i did spend high school in los angeles and uh, went to university in UT Austin, and then I worked for a bit in San Francisco. So those are a couple of the spots among many that uh, that we live for my parents' jobs, moving from here to there. But that's where I'm from and uh, moved abroad sort of, I'd say, permanently, at least to date, in 2014. So first I moved to Tokyo, Japan for two years, and then to Berlin, Germany for three years, and now here in Porto for about two years.
0: Now, was it a a specific job that brought you to Tokyo or did you just pick at random and just say, you know what, I'm going to live abroad?
1: Yeah, actually, I had been, I suppose to give a little bit of the the background and context there. So I'd been studying Japanese, the Japanese language, since I was about 12 years old. So it was a long process of studying the language, falling in love with the culture, traveling there a few times, once in high school, once in university, and um, trying to just find a way that I could work there. Now, a number of people that I knew in my Japanese program at university and things like that were looking at uh, teaching English there. It's a very common route. A lot of people do that. That's a great way to do it. I was looking for a way that I could still progress in my career. And so what I've done, uh, managed to do, although it certainly hasn't been easy, is to progress my career uh, as a product manager. That's kind of what I I started in investment banking when I graduated, but then moved into product management at software uh, companies, tech companies in San Francisco. Um, basically, I use that skill set to find local jobs in each of those countries. So first, indeed, finding one in Tokyo. And then as I was thinking about my next steps from there, finding an opportunity in Berlin. And then again, finding one here in Portugal. So I found those local jobs to help me to get the sponsorship, of course, for the you know funds to live the life and, and do what I want to do and save and travel and all of those things. Um, so that's been the way that I've done it. It might not be the, the most straightforward and the easiest way. But uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy with how things have turned out. I guess I can say that.
0: And when did you start Expat Empire? And is this your full time thing now? Or are you still doing product stuff on the side?
1: Yeah, so this is my full time thing now. I started just over three years ago as a side project. That's when I launched it anyway. So it came with uh, the release of my book, Passport to Working in Japan. So helping other people to think about trying to work in Japan, whether that's English teaching or of course in other routes like, like I experienced. Uh, um, and also the launch of the website. So that's expatempire.com And since then we've launched our podcast, Expat Empire Podcast, uh, started a meetup group here in Porto, done blog posts, courses, all that good stuff, but also helping people in the actual process of moving abroad. So more on the consulting and coaching side of things. Helping them think through their options, whether they want to become digital nomads, retire abroad, find a new job, uh, build a business abroad, whatever they're trying to do, help them think through different countries and cities, look at visa options, figure out the steps that they have to take, and coach them and guide them through the whole process. So that's yeah, what I've been doing uh, full time since getting laid off from the job here in Porto. So it was a great opportunity for me to do what I wanted to do anyway. It was kind of pushing me off the diving board to uh, to just you know into entrepreneurship and doing that full time. And it's just been a great ride so far. It's been awesome to talk to so many people that are at this stage in their lives and with this pandemic situation that are thinking about what's next, thinking about, you know, maybe it's time for me to make a change as things open up. So it's, it's a great spot to be in. And I'm looking forward to being able to help in that, in, in that sort of evolution and development that people are going through right now.
0: How are your Japanese skills helping you in Portugal?
1: <laughs> not too good, but actually, actually, uh, my wife is Japanese. We met in uh-huh. Germany, but she's a, she's a Japanese citizen, so we speak it at home. So I guess that's oh, good. I guess I can say it comes in quite handy in that respect. But definitely not using it with anyone else here.
0: <laughs> so if she's a Japanese citizen, do you have citizenship there now too? In Japanese
1: No, no. I wish uh, maybe one day, but uh, as of yet, we're both trying to stay outside of our home countries and continue this international journey. But um, I think that would take, I'm not sure exactly how long it is, two three years uh, with the, you know, spousal uh, visa. I think it's one year at first and then they renew at one time and then you can get citizenship or permanent residence from that standpoint. So perhaps down the road, I'm glad to have that opportunity open to me as, uh, uh, as a big Japanophile. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, not yet. And yeah, we'll see where life takes us.
0: I'm so bummed because the the trip that canceled for me, during the start of the pandemic was Japan. I'd only been Mm. there once. I've been to Tokyo and Kyoto. And uh, I was going back to go to the North Island. I wanted to go skiing. I was going to go, I was going to combine, I had a whole thing. I was going to combine the North Island with um, uh, the cherry blossoms. Mm. And then I was going to sneak in a baseball game at the start of the season too. (laughs) I had it all planned out. And then Uh. I rebooked it for next March, April in 2022 okay, but fingers crossed you know who knows you know everything's up in the air now everything's written in pencil
1: yeah absolutely we feel the same of course she wants to visit her family the last time we were there was actually to get our legal marriage so we got married in Japan all of our marriage documents are in Japanese but it was surprisingly straightforward not just because at least i don't believe it was just because she's a citizen uh we basically went to the city hall you know i was on a tourist visa And, um, you know, we just waited an hour or two, got the paperwork and it was sort of like, okay, let's, let's go celebrate. (laughs) So that's what we did uh, in 2019. And yeah, we, we hope to go back at the end of 2020. I mean, before, you know, everything uh, sort of happened, that was our plan at the beginning of the year. And then we've just been kind of looking at the numbers and seeing and and the regulations and, and hoping that it will be next year for us.
0: As someone who was so into uh, Japanese culture and the language and everything else, and you seem to have a pretty good gig, what made you go to Berlin? Why? Why? And why Berlin as opposed to any other city?
1: Yeah, those are actually two really good questions. So, <laughs> because it, it is, I think, surprising to people when they hear you know my story, my background, and why did you leave after two years? I can definitely say that my plan was to stay a lot longer. So it wasn't just a uh, one or two year plan. It was. I guess every time I go into it, I think, "Well, I'm I'm trying to stay here, you know, as long as it works and it makes sense." So with Japan in particular, I got the job there. Uh, everything was great from that perspective. In fact, that in fact, the first year was really uh, fantastic in that role. And then I was on a team of two people essentially. So there was a product manager. I was managing marketing at that point. And then the product manager left after that one year mark that I was there. He went to another job, and. A number of other things happened at the company, but basically they acquired a company in Boston and my role would have been either I move to Boston or somebody else in Boston does it because that's where sort of the the core of the tech team would be. And, or, you know, I stay in Japan and do something entirely different for the company. But again, with that idea of wanting to be excited and passionate about the work that I was doing on top of being in the location, I thought, you know what, this doesn't seem like it's going to probably work out for me, or maybe I should look into other options. Unfortunately, after a long search, I didn't find that next option for me in Japan. And so eventually I started thinking, well, if I don't kind of figure out something here soon, then maybe my contract will run out with this company or, you know, I'm just going to end up doing something that I'm not really excited about and wasn't feeling good about it. And so then I thought back to uh, this trip that I took. Um, So before I left San Francisco for Tokyo, I was uh, working at a company in San Francisco, I was able to go to Beijing, China with that company for a couple months and a work sort of deployment to the office there. And then I came back after hopes of going back to China for longer and got laid off. So you'll hear in my story many times layoffs or quitting companies. But I, I guess <laughs> I'm I, starting I, to I, think I've,
0: it's you, man. I'm starting to I'm, me when too. There's smoke, there's fire.
1: <laughs> me too, me too. There's there's something <laughs> there. I think uh, I think that well, that's why I'm working for myself now. I think yeah, it's you a, mean, a, a mismatch of the corporate life and maybe my personality, but um, but yeah, it's um, basically came back from that and I thought, well, I still want to go abroad and while I'm laid off and I have an excuse and I've saved this money from my different jobs, let's go and travel Europe. So I did that for two months and had a blast going from city to city, probably traveled too much. Like I I should have slowed it down a bit, but um, but in all of that, I had this really great experience in Berlin in terms of just feeling like I was barely scratching the surface of the city. So I, I felt like there was so much more to see, it was such an amazing place. And I love the vibe there and everything else. So I came back from that and it was always in the back of my head. So when I was in Japan and seemed like, you know what, this is, I'm not really feeling this. I can't find the next thing. Maybe I should look in Berlin. And yeah, uh, it's already been a long story, but try to make it a little shorter to the end. Um, I, I reached out to some people in my network, got connected to the right people. And then actually the first job I applied to in Berlin, I got that offer. And that was before I even left Japan. So I thought, okay, well, I guess that's it then. So off on my way. And that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it all came together.
0: Well, were you in Tokyo before? I mean, you were right in the city? Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was was near. Yeah,
0: yeah, Tokyo and Berlin, these are not uh, cheap places to live. (laughs) Um, Did you, I mean, was that a factor in terms of like, okay, after a couple of years in Berlin, maybe it's time to, to... (laughs) to live a little cheaper or was it was Portugal more of a weather move or what was it
1: yeah um well I guess to yeah be as transparent as I can be you know starting back in my days working in banking and then into San Francisco tech companies my salary working at local jobs in these different cities hasn't exactly been on the rise so (laughs) while while there are elements of the cost of living it's also the balance that you make with the salary as well so I wouldn't say that it was because of that reason in particular, um, you know, I made a fine salary at the job that I had here that brought me over and, you know, we could live comfortably the two of us here in Porto. So that was all fine, but it was more about, I think the things that drew me to Berlin originally were like, you know, it's kind of, it's indie feel it's diy it's kind of grungy and grimy and like all that cool stuff and i just wanted to explore it i wanted to see the abandoned buildings and the street art and go to the different cafes and markets and all this cool stuff so i loved that for the first couple years and i think after after you know two years or so of that and you know uh I, I just started, it started to kind of grate on me. I think it just like the, the thing that attracted me to it started to be like, okay, I can't really, we we couldn't, you know, with my wife and I, we couldn't see ourselves being there for the long haul. And we visited after some discussion about where it might be next. We we visited Portugal. We, we visited Lisbon and Porto in October, 2018 for a week, just a couple of days in each city. And we just were confirmed in our thoughts that this was, maybe, you know, hopefully the next spot for us. And yeah, it took another year to make it happen, but then we moved out here, and we moved really for the warmer weather, the you know the great food, the great people, the relaxed life, um, more laid back. You know, we're in this smaller beach town now, so totally different, like you said, from the large cities of Tokyo, San Francisco, Berlin. And I, I always thought I would be the one to just stay in the big cities and keep exploring, but there, of course, I love to travel to those places. But I think maybe just you know getting married, getting a little bit older, it just <laughs> became a thing where. It was look. It was nice to find something different, a bit more relaxed environment, and a place that we just feel comfortable. Hopefully for the long term.
0: So Japan, Germany, any of our other uh, former World War Two enemies? You want to live in? Any- <laughs>
1: good, good question. I thought about <laughs> gonna, that too. You're gonna yeah. go to Italy, and uh,
0: where? Where else? China, <laughs> exactly. North Korea. You're gonna? Um, no, it's it's interesting because yeah, I mean, I first went to Berlin in before your time my first trip out of the country was in 1989 and i did the whole backpacking thing around europe and i was in the last summer of the berlin wall which was crazy you know and the wall was such a bizarre thing and then i went back i don't know about 10 years ago and of course completely totally different and berlin's one of this up and coming cities and it's very hip and my my fault with Berlin, and I don't know if you felt this, there's no real like center, like downtown mm-hmm. of it. It's like, it's almost, at least LA is a downtown. Nobody goes there, but at least, it, <laughs> you know what I mean? But right. it's really spread out. And it's like, there's a pocket of, of cool place over here. And there's one pocket of cool place over there. And there you got to go, there's a lot of travel involved. I mean, it's yeah. wide, yeah. And, but Tokyo's huge too. But, but you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah.
1: With Berlin, there's no like, center of it totally yeah absolutely there's yeah different pockets different neighborhoods and this one's up and coming today this other one's up and coming tomorrow so it definitely keeps things interesting and luckily of course there's amazing public transportation and i haven't owned a car since i or had a car i should say it was my parents in high school so i've been doing this (laughs) car free life for a long time and i really appreciate that about uh, places like tokyo and berlin and um I can only speak to Berlin in terms of my experience when I went. Uh, but even when I went, it was like everyone was saying, well, the old the kind of like the good Berlin, the old Berlin is dead. Now, you know, these yeah. places are closing this and that. And of course, then when new people were coming in after I was there for one, two, three years, it's like, oh, you know, you should have been here in the old days. So there's always the old days, yeah, right? Every it's city, like-
0: <laughs> every place in the world says that, oh, it's not like it is. Yeah. N- nothing stays the same as it is. I mean, I lived in exactly. Brooklyn before it was Brooklyn, you know, right. and when it was a, when it was not a cool place. And then five years later, it's like, oh, this is it. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know. Uh, people yeah. miss their youth. That's what they miss more mm-hmm. than anything. So, I mean, living in, in Japan and Germany, you know, these are very clean, safe mm-hmm. um, places where the trains run on time and everything else. And everything's pretty... Structured right. and organized, and uh, maybe Portugal is it a little, little less so? Are you used to a little more chaos now?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it's been difficult to adjust to the much slower uh, pace of life in terms of the bureaucracy yeah. as well as the public transportation. You know, coming from like you said, these places that are on time, really structured. You know, there are still frustrations there. It still doesn't uh, work as as perfectly as you might think or imagine, but. You know, um, it was definitely more structured and more comfortable from that standpoint. However, I think what we try to keep in mind while we get frustrated about that stuff is just the warmth of the people and they're, they're going out the way to try to help you. And even if you can't always speak the same language or, you know, communicate in the way that would be easiest, like most people will just switch to perfect fluent English once they realize that, you know, my Portuguese isn't too good yet. (laughs) Um, So that kind of stuff is great. But even if they can't speak it so well, they just it comes from a really good place. And I really love that about it. I think that was something that got also under our skin, as far as Germany was concerned, was just some of the, the harshness and the attitude. And, you know, we, we my my wife can speak great German. She studied it, you know, very well over many years. But for me trying to go there and I was my one of my thoughts was, well, I love the city and you can find English speaking roles in this, you know, the tech companies here. And so for me, it was kind of like, of course, I wanted to learn a bit but, uh, I had just spent 15 years studying Japanese and I only lived there for two years. So, you know, it was one of those things where it's like really hard to dive back into that process after climbing the mountain one time. So, um, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think it makes up for that, but yeah, we've kind of found our way to get around or to get, you know, um, uh, well, they use bolt here, but kind of like an Uber we need to get somewhere quick, or we use the metro instead of the buses, because the buses will come two in a row, one minute apart, and then you're sitting there otherwise for an hour. it's this kind of thing that can get quite frustrating.
0: Yeah, people get fall in love with laid back lifestyles when they're on vacation. And then they move there and yeah. they go, where the hell's that bus? And it's like, hey, it's laid back, man. Maybe it's going to show right. up, maybe <laughs> it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, when well, you talk about the language. I mean, I know a little bit of Spanish and I mean that's been a fear of mine, uh, you know, and my Spanish is choppy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean, right? Um, so uh, Portuguese, it's it's always kind of screwed me up in that it's just close enough to Spanish to to confuse you, and right. and has I guess I'd be honest if I'm going to be honest, it's a little daunting that part of it. I mean, almost leaning towards Spain just mm-hmm. for the fact that I got a little more grasp on the language. Um, how, do you know any Spanish? I mean, do you? Nothing. No,
1: <laughs> I was, I, I know I was in California and all that good stuff, yeah. but I was, I was somehow like, eh, I think I'll pick Japanese. So, yeah. that's an <laughs> so, yeah. The, the normal, the normal choice. Yeah. Um, turns
0: out we all should have been learning Mandarin.
1: <laughs> I know. I thought about that uh, as well. When I, finally found, like I mentioned, finally found an opportunity to go to Beijing for a couple of months with that company, I was like, well, okay, I guess Japan's out the door, yeah. um, you know, and I'm glad that it came back around. But obviously, yeah, with with Chinese, that seemed to be like, okay, I got to start sending Chinese now. Yeah, um, But here with Portuguese, I think, uh, I, first of all, the level of English fluency here is very high. So I think that kind of calms the fears of most people. And Even if I'm trying to order or say something or do whatever in Portuguese, they obviously can quickly find out that I'm not fluent or native. And so then they'll just immediately switch over to, um, you know, to English and many people can speak other languages as well. So if I were maybe not so much Japanese, but, you know, there's there's tourists and people and, you know, interest in language uh, across the board here. So there's that piece. But then as far as learning, learning the language. It is it's a hard, it's a hard language. I mean, you know, it's uh, maybe compared to Japanese which took, you know, uh maybe it took less time yeah. to get fluent. At least it's um, with the
0: Roman the alphabet we know. I mean, at least exactly. that. I mean, it's not like symbols in Japanese. I mean, that's kind yeah. daunting.
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to think about that when I started Japanese, but luckily somehow I persuaded myself mentally to to get through it. But um <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I think one thing that is difficult about Portuguese outside of just the core of the language itself is that there's also this divide between similar to Spanish with different countries having different accents. But you really have Brazilian Portuguese and you have European continental Portuguese and um, most of the apps and and books and things like that focus on Brazilian Portuguese doesn't mean that that would necessarily make you, you know, not work for you completely or something. But if your intention is to be here and not to be in Brazil in the future, it probably, you know, helps to to go for the one that is going to be the most uh, easily understood and not have any issues of, Oh, that word means that in Brazilian Portuguese, but means this in the Portuguese here. So I think that's one of the challenges. Um, but I think, and a lot of people think it, I don't know, maybe isn't a a beautiful sounding language or this or that, but I think any place that I've moved to, I mean, even spent some time in China and obviously with German, a lot of people say that about German. But once once you live somewhere for a while, you get quite used to it and you like the sound of it. I think I've always come to enjoy the sound of the languages, even if I didn't at the beginning. So yeah, here's to hoping to learn some more.
0: (laughs) That's a story I've told on here before, but it's one of my favorite ones. The first time I went to Brazil, I had bought like a Portuguese uh, phrase book. This is pre you know, apps, you know, sure. so I had a little, my little phrase book and I'm going through Portugal and uh, I didn't realize I, I uh, going through Brazil. I didn't realize I brought a Portugal Portuguese phrase mm. book. So I would say these things and they would just look at me like, yeah, we don't, we don't say that here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, oh. right. <laughs> it's like, where'd you get your book? Portugal? I went, Oh, darn. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I totally screwed that one up. But I, the differences are pretty large. I mean, it's not yeah. like, I mean, they get it, but they're like, yeah, we don't. You know, it's like coming with like a you know coming to America and calling a truck a lorry. You right. know, and it's just right. like, well, it's like, yeah, we don't, uh, we don't do that here. Um, yeah, exactly. And speaking of Brits, um, I've only been to Lisbon and the Algarve in Portugal, mm-hmm. and as you know, the Algarve is just. Mm-hmm loaded with, uh, sunburned Brits getting drunk on the beach. Yes. Um, how has, you know, and Portugal was a huge, uh, is, but I think more so before Brexit, a huge retirement spot for Brits has right. Brexit. Have you seen a difference in that Has Brexit really affected that?
1: I suppose not. Uh, I haven't seen it too much. I think it's still definitely a thing, but obviously, um, what I did here, and I don't know how it's it's shaken out by now. But at that point, when Brexit happened officially, legally, then there were, uh, I think it, I read that it was like an eighteen thousand um, visa backlog of basically now the Brits needing to get the local visas, and I, you know that's that's the case across Europe. Um, I, I, hopefully, by now, who knows? But hopefully, it's it's shake, kind of shaken out of the system. Um, but I, I haven't seen uh, or heard too much about that. I suppose I'm more plugged in, though, to the well, the American expat uh, community here, but also just seeing more and more Americans hearing about Portugal, hearing about um, the different things that we talked about, and, and coming here. So, I guess that's where my attention's been drawn. But I'm sure that plenty of people from all across Europe, you know, uh, Britain included, are are headed over here as well.
0: Well, in the last five, 10 years traveling around Europe, I mean, I saw this giant, you know, kind of right wing anti-immigrant wave Mm. going across it and uh, it is, you know, it's reached America and everything else. So how have the, has there been backlash that you've seen from the locals about all these foreigners coming in and buying up property and maybe Mm. putting the prices out of their range and, and that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, I I still feel uh, at the core, like try to get into some of the details of the question, because I do think it's quite nuanced. But I think at the core, at least personally, I've always felt extremely welcome here. Um, You know, people have welcomed us with open arms and super understanding and helping us practice our Portuguese or speaking to us in English. and, And just I think there's still a very positive view toward foreigners coming here. I don't know if that will always be the case. Uh, I mean, I hope for the long haul it will be, but it's kind of hard to say because, indeed, compared to local salaries, which are the lowest, it has the lowest minimum wage here in Portugal and Europe or in the EU. So, with that and all and the tax breaks and the different, you know, people having jobs coming in from America or other countries, uh, golden visas, buying up property, all of this stuff, it could kind of the, the the attitude could change over time. It's hard to say. I hope not. Um, but it's possible. I think it's up to, you know, the people here like me and and others that are headed over here to make sure that we do our best to, you know, to be friendly, to be open, to be good stewards, to, you know, just be good citizens here. Um, I, I would also say that, uh, you know, it is, it's interesting because on the other hand, you have, as you said, people buying up property. And I think that is, you know, really dollar signs in a lot of people's eyes here or euro (laughs) euro signs um but on the other hand then the question becomes okay will you sell that place maybe of course if they sell a great place downtown in porto lisbon or one of the other you know larger cities or in the algarve then maybe they can move more to the interior or maybe there are other you know options for them, but it's always a question of great, you got this money, but now you need to buy. So where you, you know, it, obviously hopefully they'll still make a profit out of the whole thing, but um, but I guess that's the question is where do you go to next? So I think um, you know, it's, it's definitely driving a lot of investment here. A lot of people having uh, starting up Airbnbs and, um, different tourist and and traveler and expat focused uh, businesses. So I think it's a great opportunity. Overall, it's it's put Portugal on the map in a sense. I mean, ton, tons of people are coming here. But I hope that the the attitude doesn't change too much over time. I guess we'll see.
0: And I think I talked with uh, with Mike Sabas before about this. There's and I, I know a couple of the Camarenos who you should check out their property. They opened up a small boutique hotel. Vera mm-hmm. and Cam, Camarena, you, if you listened to some earlier episodes, um, they said that there's a difference of buying uh, for visas, I guess, in property anyway, if you're in Lisbon or outside in the country. And then if right. you're cro- closer to the sea, it's a different price. And then you got to be a certain miles away from the sea or something. Is that true?
1: Yeah, yeah, so that's the kind of the price tiers that we were talking about with the golden visa before, but I also think that there is unsurprisingly as I actually heard about this last night from a friend that uh, came to visit and was talking about his experience trying to buy property here for investment things like that is that when you are not local when you're not Portuguese the price is 20-30% higher, right? So it's those kind of things too. I mean, you still have to definitely watch out and I suppose off the cuff, I don't really have much good advice for that. It's sort of one of those things. And even if you have a go-between, they probably know the ultimate buyer who's going to have to do the contracting and everything else and get the mortgages of foreigner. So you, you, it's, it's one of those things where you're paying more um, here. You're kind of getting that foreigner tax. But on the other hand, obviously, a lot of people are still coming here because it's so cheap, you know, quote-unquote, compared to what they're used to back home. So as with everything, it's all relative, I think.
0: Right. Um, and again, if, if, you know, when you people, there's an anti-immigrant sentiment, it's, uh, you know, it's usually not against, you know, rich Americans emigrating mm-hmm. or something like that, or rich foreigners. Right. They don't mind right. those guys, you know, it's just like, oh, uh, but if you were, you know, say, a uh, refugee from, you know, Syria or something, yeah, all of a sudden things start right. to, or in our case, if you're coming up from Mexico or something, um, and also retiring, is a lot easier than, you know, trying to get in someone's job market, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Most people are just like, hey, if you want to retire here and spend money, yeah, come, sure. You know, but it's just when you start wanting to work, that's when it gets complicated.
1: You right. And, and I think, yeah, the other part that I didn't get to in uh, the response to your original question was that uh, I think where you see maybe a bit more... I don't know. I don't know. Well, I guess you can call it racism, but I don't want to like overstate it as though it's really, you know, violent or aggressive or anything. But just in terms of that kind of the, as we talked about the differences, even between Brazilian and European Portuguese, it's quite clear based on the accent and the words that they use that, uh, you know, when someone's here from uh, originally from Brazil or learn their Portuguese there or whatnot. So that can that that is a bit of the thing like a lot of Brazilians or people from the different portuguese colonies from back you know way back in the day but now um coming here and you know there's kind of an easier maybe visa route or just you know more opportunities to do that given that pre-existing relationship and so i think um you know that's an area where some people struggle or have a little bit of concern so i can understand that i think i think that does exist but Certainly I've seen many people you know, Brazilian people here starting uh, businesses, you know, being successful here as well. So it doesn't preclude anyone. I think.
0: Which is the, uh, the African Portuguese, is it Mozambique? Is that where they speak right. the Portuguese? Okay.
1: Are there think, any others I think though? that was one. Yeah, there were, there are a handful. I, I don't have them all uh, top of my head, but I know that, uh, what's it called? Is it Cabo Verde? Um, oh, Cape Verde. Something like Cape, the yeah. Cape Verde. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I want 100%. to say Ang- Angola, but I could be Angola, off about that. that. It. I could yeah, be off There was off a about few. That.
0: There was a few African nations that I remember that right. were colonized. So I know they spoke Portuguese down there, which is so and, odd. You run into yeah. it's like okay, I got Swahili here, I got a French over here, and the, oh right, Portuguese.
1: Oh jeez. And, and you also, yeah, you also have Macau, right? In, oh yeah, uh, in Asia. So that's an interesting one. So there are a lot of um asian shops and markets and yeah stores here so that's that's cool because we love asian food so yeah <laughs> works for us but i was yeah. in
0: goa in india and, and in goa the portuguese mm, right. ran that area for about 500 years so it's the only place yeah. in india you'll see like catholic churches and stuff you know that was that was very interesting but yeah. uh, colonizing people uh, <laughs> oh the fun of it uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah what a phew. anyway so Where do you see this all heading in terms of um, do you think eventually they're going to shut the door on this or or restrict a little more movement or people being able to live there? And and do you think it's going to spread? Is it growing in other countries, too, like Spain and Mm -hmm. Italy? Because I I know in Spain and Italy are also popular places to retire. But I hear the the bureaucracy is a little there's a lot more red tape. I heard getting into those places. Um, do you see it becoming more like that or or they look that as a warning sign we don 't want to be that country. We want to do this right i mean there's a balance yeah. you have to strike i guess
1: yeah absolutely i I think it'll continue here um, you know there's always rules changing and some tightening and uh, you know these different um changes that we've talked about but I think overall, uh, you know, what I can say is I believe, I don't know if, you know, the exact uh, countries and so on, but definitely Portugal was one of the first to allow Americans in um, after the most recent lockdown, which ended around in uh, May, I would say, of this year. So I think in June, mid-June, end of June, uh, Americans were starting to be allowed into Portugal. And then, of course, that became more widespread across Europe, I think around July 1st. But it really felt like Portugal was trying to, you know, indeed, have people be able to come over here both from a tourist perspective as well as to move here and um you know we'll see where it goes but it definitely feels that way here i would say for other countries indeed a lot of people are heading to spain um you know people are interested in italy and in france and a lot of these different countries but from for the reasons we talked about with the visas and being able to have income from abroad or retire here with the tax system here it ends up being you know we we you know with my clients talk about a lot of the different options and a lot of people just end up picking Portugal. I try to be as unbiased as possible, but, you know, obviously I have, I live here, so it's, I can't be perfectly unbiased. But I think with the unique setup and the culture here and everything else, it, it just, yeah, this is what the kind of the moves that you see. Um, but of course, if people have a strong view toward, I really want to be in X or Y country, um, or, you know, I mean, there are plenty of reasons to move anywhere and it's not just about, uh, taxes and visas. Of course, these are important aspects, but, you know, culturally or language wise, or the sites that you want to see or the lifestyle that you want to have and the prices. And, you know, so there's a lot of different reasons, but, um, yeah, I'm hoping that, uh, more countries will become more open to this and we'll just continue to see the rise of digital nomads with digital nomad visas and remote workers and retirees abroad in different countries. And I think it'll kind of, We'll see where it goes, but I think each country, like Portugal and others in Spain, they'll kind of uh, look at what each other others doing and try to make it a maybe sweeter package as well. So, I, I, you know, yeah. let's, hopefully that's for the best.
0: Well, these, these countries like, you know, Portugal, Italy, Spain, Greece, what they call the pigs countries in the Europe, right. um, their dirty little secret is that their economies and almost all of them have been pretty stagnant for the last you know, 20, 30 years. And they're losing a lot of business they haven't really created a lot of new industry and they've been kind of slow and their economy has been lagging especially other places in europe um and what they have to offer is their history and their lifestyle Mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons why tourism is like their biggest (laughs) industry is because people love it so much but uh, you look around but they're losing a lot of their best young people um, right. To other because they're leaving for work because there's no jobs, and right. so uh, there might be an opportunity there in the in the like with digital nomad life and stuff like that. Like you're saying, the lifestyle is fantastic. The hard part is getting jobs there. And mm-hmm. if you don't have to get a job in that place, then all you're left with is lifestyle, which is great and amazing food and you know Mediterranean climate and stuff yeah. like that. So. Yeah, I see yeah, that's why it's a big hotspot, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's been interesting as well because I was in uh, Germany first and working at these Berlin technology startups, I was seeing a lot of people from Brazil or from Portugal, especially there for work, making the money with the goal of eventually coming back to Portugal potentially. And so you still definitely see that, um, like you're talking about, like you can see it real time happening. And indeed, it, it's one of those uh, Portugal's, and, and many of these countries, basically, it's kind of what you see is what you get. Like, if you love it as a tourist, at least I could say for Portugal, because I ask people this question, what's the downside? You know, what's the downside? And it always kind of came back to, well, the bureaucracy, the public transportation, but also the work, environment, or you know, the work opportunities, the job uh, search. And so if you can find that right opportunity here, like I did, and was lucky enough to do, I should say, um, then that's great. But now that there are these other opportunities to be able to make money here and to be able to live, uh, you know, affordably relative to that that salary, that income, then it just opens the opportunities uh, and the reasons to come here even more. Now, when
0: you you're dealing with expats, and I'm assuming most of them are from America,
1: right? So it's mostly I found uh, Americans moving to Europe. Of okay. course, what, what we try to do is help anyone to move anywhere, and if we have helped people from other countries move to other countries, but. That's the kind of core. And of course, there might be an aspect of me being here. And, you know, maybe if I was still in Japan, it would be a different story. But that is definitely what I'm seeing.
0: I've talked to a number of expats on the show, as you can imagine. And I always ask them, I said, what's... And I'll get your opinion on this because you deal with this specifically in your business. What's the biggest mistake, let's say, Americans make when they move abroad? And it's the most common reason that it doesn't work out, that they just like bail after a couple of years ago. You know, this wasn't for me. What When you look back on them, it's like, what mistakes did they make? What didn't they do? What prep work that they maybe should have thought out more?
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely hard to pick one thing, but I guess I'll just say what kind of first comes to mind, which is probably not uh, having... Enough of an open mindset, and it's not just about researching the culture, or reading the Wikipedia about the country, or reading a book a book on the business culture or something. That's all important. You should do those things if you can, and as it's relevant to you. But ultimately, um, I found the best way to adapt to each of these different countries and cultures on travels as well as living long term in these places is to have a, a how do you say like to have an attitude or a behavior where I listen first and and watch and do all that before I act, as opposed to just going in and saying, this is how we do it back home. This is what I'm used to. Oh, wait, where's my fork, you know, instead of the chopsticks or this or that, or let me just grab this seat over here, but actually that should be reserved for the, you know, CEO, as opposed, you know, these, all these difficult things, but I'm not going to know all of that. I'll try to learn as I can, but I, I, you always make mistakes, but I'd rather have someone tell me, Hey, you sit here or you should do this or, oh, you need to serve this person or, or whatever. I'm, I'm probably picking from some of the more, you know, challenging aspects of living in Japan and working in Japan that maybe than here in Europe. But I hope you get the idea of kind of um, coming at it with an open mind, looking, listening, um, and just trying to integrate the best that you can because ultimately, it's not about you bringing your culture into their country. It's about you trying to adapt and integrate. And it goes. It, it has to work on both sides. It's, you can't just have... The push. I think you also have to have the pull, and probably pull first before you yeah. <laughs> give your side of it as well.
0: We had a uh, a guest on recently, Jessica Drucker, who actually wrote a book on you know living abroad and things like that. But her recommendation was, uh, don't move to a country that you haven't spent time in, considerable time mm-hmm. in. You know, vacation there not just once, but go mm-hmm. often, a number of times. Spend you know, not just a weekend or a week, spend a couple months and just get the vibe of it before you really uproot and make the move. I mean, is that good advice in your eyes?
1: I think so. I think it's definitely good advice. I think it's hard for people probably to necessarily be able to make that happen if you can, by all means. Yeah. If they can. Yeah. Um, You know, if they have the flexibility or the situation to be able to do that, I, I am, I am a bit surprised, frankly, when people, you know, sell everything, you know, pack up and move to a country that they've never Touched foot in, never stepped in before. (laughs) And um, I've known plenty of people that have done it. And people moved from, I had a colleague that moved from, for example, South Africa uh, to Berlin, never been there before. And he absolutely loved it, you know. And so, and of course, people moving here to Portugal and different places. So, naturally, it's entirely possible, but the reality on the ground is going to be very different from what you see in the photos on Instagram and things like that. So, I think being able to see is this a culture that I could see myself living in and being comfortable in and growing in as opposed to too different or too foreign or too irritating or whatever it is that you know uh, works for that individual I think that's important but um, indeed like uh, yeah I would actually give the example of I I visited Berlin on that uh, two-month Europe trip I thought it was amazing it stuck in my mind out of all those cities it's like a you know a blur but there's a couple that stood out and Berlin was one of them and so that was in 2014. Uh, I went to Japan for two years. Then I moved to Germany. And I thought, great, you know, I, now I'm going to the city that I was so excited about. And I arrived there and I get through the airport, immigration, I get on the train, I'm going to the city. And I'm like, what, is this the same city? <laughs> like, it was almost, you know, it was like, wait a second. I, it's been a while. And I was only here for like three days, you know, <laughs> and, and then the challenges with the culture as far as, you know, making friends and uh, the attitude and the the tough, that it's, it's not an easy life there, I would say. Um, it's a lot of fun, it can be a lot of fun, but it's a tough life. And so all of that stuff was kind of learning for me and adjusting and I believe I got a bit thicker skin from all of it because going from, um, you know, customers always right in America and Japan, to Germany, or at least Berlin in particular, I, I found that I was not always right. So oh, no. those, those types of things <laughs> taught me a lot, for sure.
0: And they remind you of it in such a warm-sounding <laughs> way, don't they? Uh, they do. Yeah, they do. The, uh, do you ever help people with the reverse migration to uh, America? Do you help like for, foreign people adjust to America? Yeah. Uh,
1: it's not something that I've focused on so far. Uh, it's more about, I guess, maybe it's coming from my experience of hey, I'm moving abroad and moved to all these different countries and I haven't focused on people moving, whether from another country into the U.S. for the first time or people moving back and kind of repatriating. I think that'd be interesting for the future. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's not something that I've I've focused in on. There are a lot of people and a lot of coaches out there that that definitely focus on that side. And probably, you know, my experience of it, because it's not really something I can, I can personally talk to. So my experience of it is going back for a trip and just visiting family yeah. or friends or a city or this or that. And so it's always like a culture shock for me to go back, but I haven't dealt with the reintegration part myself
0: well talk about that as someone who's lived uh, when was the last time you lived in America
1: what what was the year uh that was in 2014 okay and when was the last time you've been back so that was uh December of 2018 but actually we're headed back later this month so it'll be the first time in about two and a half years
0: okay now you know you talk about culture shock you know it's it's a culture shock every time I come back after you know being gone for a few weeks Right. Um are you prepared for what <laughs> what you might see? And also I want to talk about um Portugal during COVID and how mm-hmm. they handled the situation and what is it now? And we're recording this on September 2nd and all this information might change in a, in a few weeks when this comes out. Right. Um <laughs> but how did they handle it? You felt and um I know it hit pretty hard in in Europe. Um yeah. Everything was kind of shut down there. What's open now, and can we as Americans go as of September second? Because I don't know anymore. I mean, I, I yeah, yeah,
1: I we, look we're we, website. <laughs> exactly, we're all we're all checking. I mean, for me, even going back to the states, obviously, I couldn't do that if I weren't a citizen. Um, so, of course, my wife, like, we're bringing our translated legally you know notarized up a steel the ma- marriage documentation from japan and just hoping that we're <laughs> yeah. gonna be fine um so yeah we're we're checking that stuff every day uh, at this point but so let's see um am i prepared first am i prepared for going back um i'm super excited for it honestly and i think it's a mix of many things it's trying to see the grandparents uh, you know you, you just it's important to check in with them and you know do that obviously so, safely as possible but important to do that um, see family see friends uh, we're also going to do a couple days in New York City which I've been a couple times like for short trips but my wife's never been and it's on her bucket list so we're super excited to do that um, so yeah we super excited for the, the trip it's always a culture shock when I go back uh, it <laughs> hits, hits me almost immediately you know um,
0: what, is, what is the uh, what's the thing that hits you just the like immediately is it the size of the people? Is that what? well that was, that was what came to mind. I mean, yeah. look, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> not jarring, I'm not super. Man. It's jarring, man. It's, it, it is, is. jarring. It's, it's, it is It's jarring. sad and it's 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 shocking sometimes. Yeah. When you get off the plane like wow, yeah, oh, boy yeah, it's,
1: it is, it is a bit, uh, well, it is quite shocking. I shouldn't say, but it's quite shocking, but for all the listeners out there, uh, I mean, I'm definitely not the thinnest person. So, you know, (laughs) I'm not here, you know, talking from my, my fit throne or anything, but it's more of just, just, you know, it it is different. Yeah, it is is different. Um, but I think, yeah, I think, you know, just some aspects of the culture, the communication, I mean, in both good and bad, and you know, what gets me every time. And I always am reminded of this. I know I'm going to fail, uh, mess up at least 10 times when I'm back in the States is I really am used to here in Europe having the tax included in the price. And I was was, was, was going to say tipping. I was going to say tipping. Yeah, the tipping, tipping in the tax. So like I went, I remember going to a coffee shop last time I was back with family and it was two ninety nine for whatever it was, and so I got out. I was so happy. I got exactly two ninety nine. And then she oh, said, no. "Well, that's going to be three twelve or whatever, you know." And I was like, "Oh, I don't." Know. Right. <laughs> I was so happy to have the perfect change. And um, so yeah, these these kind of things definitely trip me up. But uh, as far as the pandemic here, we've had two kind of major lockdowns, and um, that was obviously right when things were happening in March twenty twenty for a couple months, and then we had another one coming back from the new year. Um, they kind of had opened the. Uh, pe- they allowed people to go back to their hometown and whatnot for the holidays, and obviously that contributed to quite a big spread. So we did have a big pullback for a couple months at the beginning of this year, which kind of lightened, I think, around the May timeframe. It's, it's everything's blurring together, so it's hard to say at this point. But uh, I, I would say, as of now, um, you know, it's been the continual rollback of, of restrictions since then. The vaccination rates are great. We got vaccinated, I mean, of course, later than than folks in the US, but we got ours back kind of in July, August. So um, yeah, so relatively recently, honestly, but at the same time, you know, things are going full speed and I think they're doing ages 12 and up now. So um, yeah, all that's going well. I think uh, we're just kind of looking at the, the, the main restrictions we have now are I think they even rolled back most of the curfew, not that I was staying out, you know, past they trying to stay out too late anyway, but I think they did that it's, um, for example, at the, the restaurants, you have to show a negative test, uh, you can do a rapid test or the vaccination certificate to be able to eat inside on the weekends so that that's becoming less of a hassle now that more people are vaccinated. Um, some people do the rapid test or of course you can eat outside and that's just during like Friday night to I think Monday morning. So um, that's still what we have. But all of those things are continuing to roll back and we're, things are looking really positive here, I'd say, for the most part. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, as far as Americans coming here, it uh, while Europeans can't go to America, uh, Americans can come to Europe. But there was also a recent You know, ruling or whatever you want to call it, from the EU saying that uh, Americans were on a different list now, and that's what I'm a little concerned about. Yeah, because we're going back to the states, and then I'm hoping that something doesn't change and make us do quarantine or this or that. Because I should be able to just come back uh, to the EU with my EU uh, vaccine, you know, certificate, um, sort of digital passport, whatnot. So that's what we're kind of hoping for, but we just have to keep an eye on it. check and you know it's it's day by day you know as yeah. as everywhere so oh
0: that's rough yeah that's rough well uh i know you got to go but let's uh i wanted to talk about your business model sure for a little bit so if i'm looking to uh, if, as someone who wants to expatriate and i mm-hmm. go to your site um how does the the payment work i mean is there different tiers of what you do for me or, or is it by the hour how do how do you charge people
1: Yeah, so typically what we do is we have kind of a set set of services that we offer. So we have, for example, destination comparison to compare different cities or countries that you can move to and all the factors that go into that decision. We have uh, an international job search service to help you with your resume and application, and actually something that's quite unique is to figure out strategies for finding jobs in different countries so we've had people looking at jobs in Australia and Austria and all these different countries and basically looking at okay we can uh, look at these recruiters uh, depending on what their profile is we personalize as much as we can with what we do Um, and you know these job boards and these this is what you should look for and there's the salary uh, that you can expect and things like that so we have uh, also, the remote work roadmap to help people figure out how to make uh, income online if they want to become digital nomads or do that tech business. We have um, visa planning to help people look at their visa options. We have timeline planning for all the steps that you have to take. So that's just like you know, we have calls. We also have coaching, and we have a partner network to help people on the ground. So if you come here to Portugal, can can connect you with their partners that help with immigration uh, in terms of lawyers and also finding housing and things like that. So, the idea is it's kind of a full uh, spectrum of services from the very early planning stages all the way to get you settled into that country. So, all of those different uh, services have their own price point. But of course, if there's anything that goes kind of off of that, then we can do things kind of ad hoc on an hourly basis. Or, you know, we try to uh, work with what our individual clients need and personalize as we can. But yet, we do have those, um, you know, set services that most kind of fit the needs of, of I'd say, 95% of the people that come to us.
0: Okay. And give the website again and how people can find you.
1: Yeah. So definitely come check us out at expatempire.com. We're also, of course, on social media, most of the major ones at expatempire. So you can definitely check that out as well. What we do have on the website, though, is our top 10 tips for moving abroad ebook, which is free. So feel free to sign up and download that. And then we have the free 30-minute consulting call. So we can talk, just me and whoever it is or with your family or whoever wants to talk about their ideas of maybe I want to move to this country or I'm open to any suggestion or I'm thinking about retiring in the next couple of years. I work with people that are trying to move in six months or you know three months up until 10 years from now. So <laughs> Uh, pretty much everyone across the board, you know, we try to help as best as we can. So if that's something you're thinking about, definitely drop us a message at expedempire.com.
0: And you help them set up their like financial plan too? Do you do a little financial planning in that aspect? And
1: Yeah, uh, that's something that I guess we don't have a a set service for, but we do actually have a budgeting worksheet on our website as well. So we have some different tools and things that people can download that help them in that process. And of course, we can walk through that in terms of a call, you know, having some coaching. So yeah, uh, this definitely is something that we can help with.
0: Now, correct me if I'm wrong. America is like the only country that makes its citizens abroad (laughs) still pay American taxes, right?
1: I I wish that you were wrong, but you're right. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So... There's definitely a, a lot deal. of stuff. That's a big yeah, deal. There's a lot to navigate. And, you know, that's why some people are thinking about renouncing their citizenship. And, you know, I, I am personally not planning to do that necessarily, but I'm definitely working toward my second citizenship here in, in Portugal. So you can, it depends on the country whether or not you can do dual citizenship. So that's something that I'm working toward. But yeah, a lot of people are thinking about the challenges of opening some bank accounts abroad and managing that and all the documentation and the taxes. And it's, it's a lot to take on. So definitely if you're just traveling or doing a bit of a digital nomad thing, you still have to watch out for some stuff. It's a bit easier than actually jumping in, you know, with two feet and and trying to move permanently to a different country, because it opens up so many questions around taxes and visas and uh, lifestyle and, you know, setting up all the accounts and moving everything. So yeah, that's, that's, that's our sweet spot, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, we've done it a lot, a lot of times. We've helped a lot of people. But at the same time, uh, it, is, it is a big thing for people to take on, for sure. Now, do you have a, another passport? No, not yet. But uh, uh, I can apply here in Portugal after I've been living here for five years. So I still have a couple of years to go. But uh, it, let's say I, I hope that I will be in this country long enough. I intend to be in this country long enough to be able to apply for that.
0: Is emigrating to Japan much harder? I heard they they lock it down pretty tight and uh, who they let in, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is, It is. Uh, I would say, you know, considerably probably more difficult there. Um, you know, a lot of people go through that route of English teaching and things like that because they kind of set it up for you. They have the companies, you know, it's it's kind of a well-oiled machine. But if you go off of that beaten path or outside of the other one of, of course, like an internal company transfer, then things can definitely be more difficult. So. I was very fortunate to get a job there that sponsored me, and indeed, hopefully, uh, maybe I'll get my third passport <laughs> in the future through the the marriage as well. We'll see.
0: But usually, re- Japan is not considered a retirement spot just for the, I guess, the cost <laughs> of living, right? It's just right not feasible, right?
1: Yeah, of course, it depends on indeed where you want to live. We probably wouldn't, if we were to, we probably wouldn't retire in downtown Tokyo. But yeah, like um, nobody retires
0: to New York City unless you're a, a right gazillionaire.
1: But but on the other hand, I would also say it's similar. Um, Well, in a different sense, but similar to what we're talking about with Portugal, where the main downside of everything all considered is maybe finding the right, uh, you know, job opportunity, whether that's title or what you want to be doing or salary and all those things. So everything else is good. And I feel like with Japan, my experience there was, yeah, everything about living in Japan is awesome, except for the work part. (laughs) So, you know, if I can crack that that nut, then that would be awesome. But that's uh, true of a lot of
0: life, you know that's yeah that's uh, true it's my true, life but, is great if i didn't have to work at all
1: if we could just figure that one out then yeah
0: be fine. i'm trying i've been trying for yeah. a long time <laughs> um okay now we'll get to uh fun stuff you uh give me your worst uh flight experience Okay, do you think oh. about it?
1: <laughs> i can actually i can actually give you a good one to that i mean at least as far as it being unnerving and, and a bit scary so we were on a I think it was a 6 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. flight uh, from Berlin to Brussels. We were just going for the weekend. It was a like Friday morning or something. And um, we we're getting ready to go. You know, everyone's buckled in. The plane is, you know, really literally like seconds from taking off. You know, we were fully at full speed. As, as best as I could tell, we were at full speed. And all of a sudden, you know, we heard kind of something uh, maybe 10, 15 rows in front of us. And we were, you kind know, of. I I was listening to my music. I was trying to zone out because it was so early in the morning and my, my wife taps my shoulder and she's like, something's going on. So take off my, um, my ear, um, my ear pods, AirPods, whatever. And uh, there was some commotion. And then all of a sudden over all that we heard, stop the plane, stop the plane. And it was like, what the hell is going on? And so they, they did get, you know, they were able to alert the flight attendant who told the, the pilot, but really like, like, a second or two before it seemed like we were about to take off. So this is strange and we're all kind of like wondering what's going on, the lights go back on, they taxi back to the gate. And then eventually some police come in and I, you know, we don't really know what happened, but essentially the plastic part of the piece where it's saying kind of exit the plane, I think he was in the exit row. Somehow I don't, you know, some people might say that he accidentally did it, although I don't know exactly how you do that, although it probably comes off quite easy. But on the other hand some people were saying like he you know took this thing off in order to try to open the door of the plane oh, which oh. which was like very you know so he he ended up getting uh, questioned and his friend and uh, I, at least i remember the guy that did this exact you know act was the one was it was uh, taken off the plane by the the police officers so I really I've checked the news. I never managed to find out what it was, but I found it very strange that it was literally at that moment where we were about to take off. Because, of course, when you're in the air, there's a lot more uh, you know, air pressure, I would assume, or things like I, I don't know how all this stuff works, yeah. but it was it was weirdly timed. That's what you could say as far as being an early morning flight. And right at that point, we're about to take off. And so that was a bit scary. I don't I still don't know what it was. Uh, maybe it was kind of nothing, but it seemed weird enough and strange enough that the the police officers took him off the plane. So, you know, wow.
0: That's kind of scary. You yeah. The, uh, what was the biggest cultural mistake you made in Japan? Like the <laughs> biggest, biggest oh. no, no you ever did.
1: Oh gosh. Um.
0: Hmm. Did they just shake their heads and went, Oh, we don't do that here. No. no. I mean,
1: probably there was pro I'm just trying to think if there's anything that really, I mean, I'm no, I'm just not to say that I didn't make some huge errors, but maybe they were kind enough not to point them out too much, but, um, Hmm. I think, um, I think because also it, it helps that I had all that experience with Japanese and the culture and I studied it in university and not that that, um, definitely made me perfect on it in any respect, but I think probably it was, it was more of more, yeah, comfortable from that perspective, but, nothing comes to mind. If anything does, I'll, I'll let you know, but I mean, you know, it's just the, I can say like the usual things of knowing again, what you're supposed to do in a meeting where you're supposed to sit. um, Are you supposed to talk? Are you not supposed to talk? Do you actually say, do you, you know, it's it's probably actually, frankly, probably it's a lot of just speaking my mind as I would in another country or as I would in the United States, what I was used to in in the work environment. And yet at the same time, like you're kind of just supposed to not say what you actually think or beat around the bush or, you know, uh, not, say something that would otherwise anger or yes. look bad on the boss save face. so save you know face. save face yeah i think that I, i'm sure i did that countless number of times but nothing that like so obviously blew up in my face that <laughs> it's come into mind
0: right favorite things about germany and japan and least favorite things or things you don't miss about germany and japan
1: um with Japan at least living in Tokyo what I what I miss and what I you know what I loved but definitely what I missed the most is just going down these very narrow alleys and streets and just people watching looking at businesses going into little st- stores and there's something that was just so deeply satisfying as a person who has always had wanderlust to be able to just feel like you're always exploring and of of course now in the small <laughs> beach town I don't really get that too often and I hope to get it more from you know more travel going forward but uh but I but I do miss that what I don't miss from Japan it's a lot of the it's a lot of the same kind of bureaucracy stuff but I used to hate going into the the bank because it would inevitably take one to two hours like it didn't matter what it was how easy it seemed to, and I know this is not just Japan but. There was that kind of general niceness about it, but at the same time, you know, they try to be nice, but they're not really being that helpful. Whereas I feel, again, quite different here in Portugal, where it's slow and it's, you know, inconsistent and things like that, but they are trying. (laughs) And (laughs) with, with Germany, I would say... I really loved the exploration there too. It was different from Japan. Japan, of course, is very you know clean and everything. Um, I mean, Berlin is kind of clean, but it's got lots of grime and you know it's it's Berlin. It's different from Munich or some of the other cities. But but I, I loved going to the abandoned buildings, checking out all this amazing street art, and you know the vibe of the summer in Berlin was incredible. On the other hand, uh, the weather was terrible the rest of the year, so I definitely don't miss that, and I don't miss some of the the indie, the the challenging interactions I had with people where I just remember once in my first few weeks going to a bar with a friend that I just made and we're waiting there. There was nobody, the place was open. The guys, were, two guys were there working there. It was absolutely empty except for us. And the guy still took, 15-20 minutes to come over and take our, our order for like a, a draft beer you know what I mean right. and it's just like what is going on and you know he seemed so angry that he had to take our order and I was just like <laughs> what did I do you know and that's just that's just Berlin man so yeah I think that's probably what I would say
0: what's the first thing you want to eat when you get back to America oh uh, can I can I guess yeah take a guess because i get this i ask every expat that and nine out of ten answers are the same i said what food do you miss uh, from america and they all say mexican food
1: (laughs) yeah i mean there's so many right but mexican food is definitely a big one um but i I think the one that pops in the mind for me is uh because i'll be visiting family outside of atlanta and we're going to go for you know we always go for barbecue and stuff like that so I missed that. I also went to UT Austin, so oh, I kind of okay. missed that, that type of barbecue. I mean, it's different styles and all that stuff. But oh, yeah. It's different from what you get in Europe, so I'm excited for
0: that. <laughs> um, and finally, what do you think all this travel and living abroad and your experiences, what have they taught you about um, people and yourself and where you're from? How has it changed you as a person?
1: Hmm. I think the main thing that it's taught me that I I always go back to is um, it taught me that I can really be self sufficient. I can be comfortable. I can be successful in so many different environments. And I've had those job challenges where I was wondering what was next or what country or, you know, should I stay here in Japan or should we stay in Germany? What am I, what's the next kind of step for us? And and in a way, I, I was always afraid of going back to the States in terms of like that being the last thing that I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to still stay abroad. So the fact that I've been able to do that and now working in my business, helping other people to do the same thing and move to these different countries and hopefully here in Portugal for quite a while and you know traveling yet more, hopefully in the next years, um, showed me that, yeah, I can kind of make it happen abroad. I can keep this international dream going and um, yeah, just be successful from that perspective. I think what's taught me about other people um, probably try to be concise with that is just to say that a lot of people, everyone's kind of looking for the same stuff and, you know, it just helps you to get past that first you know, glance of somebody, some of the people that doesn't matter where you live, but if they look the meanest, they can actually end up being the nicest people. So, you know, uh, what it, you could expand that to different citizens of different countries, different, you know, ethnicities and all that stuff. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, it's just given me like, Definitely a good view of different people and learning more about who I can best interact with and have good chemistry with as as friends and colleagues. So yeah, it's it's been a great ride.
0: That's great. Well, David, I appreciate this and uh thank you for reaching out to me. It's expatempire.com and it's
1: it expatempire and all the social media. Absolutely. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it we're there. So
0: all right. And uh, you know, I'm looking to get out, so you might be hearing from me. <laughs> Sometimes, Absolutely. or at least a visit, you know, I, sure. I, I'm dying to get back to Portugal, but I don't know, you know, like you said, uh, in a week, I don't know if I can, or I'm more worried <laughs> about getting back, you know, right. I, who right. knows? I mean, and so they're advising us against leaving and then the next week they say it's okay. So who yeah, you knows yeah. what's, what's going to happen, but um, thank you for doing this. Be safe. Stay uh, stay on the line here so I uh, I can talk to you afterwards, but I'll wrap sure. this up and uh, from expat empire and eat one of those um what are those little custard tarts that are- pastel de nata yeah oh, man i love those yes uh, eat one of those for me send some here Will please do. <laughs> david mcneil everyone